Welcome to 2ZQ Hot Takes, where we discuss issues both big and small. I am your host, the very handsome Tim Kirk, and today I'll be talking about drug names. Where do drug companies get those names? I sometimes tend to assume they use a random word generator with defined parameters the same way I think of whoever gets to create the names of startups. That's another thing altogether. Ugh. But yeah, turns out there is a method to the madness. I have long been weirded out by the disclaimers on video pharmaceutical ads. And it always makes me feel that researchers <laughs> have been working with a lot of chemicals, duh, and discovered through their efforts that certain chemicals can be refined into pharmaceuticals. The disclaimers on pharma ads are somewhat disconcerting, I must say. And I will not go into the puns and joke names because I think most people have heard them and or have made them up themselves. Google search provides the results to what are the different drug nomenclature? This is the system that puts drugs into classification and the three name classifications of drugs are the chemical molecular scientific name, the generic or non-proprietary name, and the brand or trade or proprietary name. From CNN, Creation Engineering by Susan Scuti, published November 25th, 2016. Simbacort, a treatment for COPD and asthma is the ninth most prescribed branded drug in 2014-2015 with 8,751,064 prescriptions. The antipsychotic Abilify is prescribed to treat conditions including schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, and depression. It was the 10th most prescribed branded drug in America with 8,301,207 prescriptions. The cholesterol-lowering medication Crestor was the most prescribed branded drug in the U.S. in 2014-2015 with 21,014,669 prescriptions. Yearly lists of the most popular baby names show how tastes change over time. While Jennifer, Heather, Michael, and Jason may have been favorites in decades past, today's top contenders include Emma, Oliver, Liam, and Noah. The same applies to pharmaceutical drug names. Aspirin, for instance, was a name with legs in the early 20th century. Bayer branded its pain medication with this simple moniker in 1899 and sold it around the world for years. By the end of the century, though, drugs were named with a blockbuster edge and struck very different chords. The late 1990s was the era of Celebrex and Viagra, as well as the now infamous OxyContin. 
More recently, drugs have reached for even more exotic sounds. Within the past few years, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration has approved Feridac for treating multiple myeloma, Avacaz for abdominal infections, Braylar for schizophrenia, Idelvion for hemophilia, Luzu for athlete's foot, and Brivalsin for high blood pressure. Saying these names aloud, some may hear a strange and lovely music, while others may imagine aliens arriving from distant planets. Similarly, naming a drug is a complicated process. The power of three. As I referenced in my podcast from August of 2021, 2ZQHT100, The Power of Three, where I said, you might be surprised at how much of civilization is based on the power of threes. Everything from the psychology of industry and advertising and politics and storytelling to comedy, to mythology, to belief systems, to math and science. A branded prescription drug is actually known by three names. The pharmaceutical company gives a new drug a chemical name based on a set of rules established by the International Union of Pure and Applied Chemistry. How about that? For any drug that will be marketed in the United States, the next step is obtaining a name from United States Adopted Name Council. It assigns the active ingredient of the drug a generic name, which must be cleared and reviewed by the International Non-Proprietary Name Program run by the World Health Organization. This step assures that there is one non-proprietary generic name throughout the world for the drug, explains Stephanie C. Shubat, director of the Adopted Name Council. With the generic name settled, a pharmaceutical company proposes a brand name to the FDA to mark the product as its own. Well, that makes sense. For example, an antidepressant is known in the lab by its chemical name. Now this is N-methyl-3-phenyl-3-bracket-4-paren trifluoromethyl paren phenoxy bracket propan dash one dash amine. The generic name assigned to this complex chemical is fluoxetine. To the rest of us, the drug is commonly known as Prozac. Prozac is what I call the big bang of pharmaceutical naming. It came out of nowhere. It means absolutely nothing, and it really just said, wow, okay, this is blockbuster naming in the drug world, said Scott Piergrossi, vice president of creative development at the Brand Institute, which names, tests, markets, or otherwise works on about 75% of FDA-approved names each year and about two-thirds of the global names. How about that? David Wood, a pioneer in the field of branding and founder of Wood Worldwide, named Prozac in the early 1990s before he sold his shop to Interbrand Health. 
Today, Prozac even appears in the Oxford English Dictionary. According to R. John Fidelino, Executive Creative Director at Interbrand, it was the first drug name that took both a condition and its treatment out of the shadows. Though each step of the naming process presents hurdles, approval for a brand name is the most difficult to clear. The FDA's Division of Medication Error Prevention and Analysis is responsible for proprietary name review prior to approval, explained Lindsay Meyer, a spokesman for the agency, noting that this division can require the company to select another name for safety reasons as part of the approval process. Two departments within the FDA, the Center for Drug Evaluation and Research and the Center for Biologics Evaluation and Research, scrutinize each proposed name and then reject about 20 and 35% of the names, respectively. If reviewing names seems an unnecessary form of regulation, consider that the Institute of Medicine estimates that more than 1.5 million Americans are sickened, injured, or killed each year by errors in prescribing, dispensing, and taking medications. Meanwhile, a study published this year in the British Medical Journal found that 251,000 people die each year in the United States from medical error or medical care gone wrong, including drug names and dosage mix-ups. Medical error is the third leading cause of death in the U.S. Wow! After heart disease and cancer, says the study authors, making the goal of everyone in this industry to avoid what they call lasas, lookalikes, soundalikes. Name safety is now the number one priority, and predicting name approvability is now the name of the game, said Arlene Tech, creative director of Ixio Healthcare, a name engineering agency. The FDA wants to protect any American traveling anywhere from any kind of harm that could come from confusing one drug with any other drug or even a local food supplement. The possibility of drug name confusion keeps regulators up at night. Because they can nix any proposed name, the FDA, the European Medicines Agency, and Health Canada exert the strongest influence on drug names, according to Tech. In fact, she says we are living in the regulated age of drug naming. And for those who believe that computerized prescriptions will reduce mistakes caused by illegible handwriting, a white paper commissioned by the FDA found that lookalikes still cause mistakes when prescribers accidentally choose a similar drug name from a drop-down menu. Well, the FDA has a whole host of reasons why it might require a different name than the one selected by a company. For instance, the use of certain word stems are officially protected by the International Non-Proprietary Names Program. Word stems are groups of letters, usually just two, OS for instance, or AJ, that cannot appear within brand names, explains Tech, as it might cause confusion with a generic name. Wow. The FDA also rejects names that seem too fanciful or overstate a drug's effectiveness and puts the kibosh on names that might stigmatize a patient or condition. 
If you are wanting to do metaphors that are life-affirming and you want to think of things like trees or flowers or something strong like metal, you cannot do that because it might suggest an ingredient, Tech noted. The global nature of the pharmaceutical industry presents additional challenges. A name may be approved by the FDA and then be rejected by European or Canadian authorities. To anticipate both the FDA and European Medicines Agency regulatory outcome, that's really the number one mission of any team or any agency, said Dennis Azingiard, tech's naming partner and CEO of Geneva-based Ixiel. If you fail, says Azingiard, you're down to square one. Even once a product is commercially launched, the FDA retains the authority to request a name change. In fact, the agency may request a name change if doctors report confusion and medical errors even after a drug can be found on the shelf at your local pharmacy. Wow, I didn't know that. Naming drugs, says Ezingiard, is all about avoiding regulatory pitfalls and has become less and less about creation. After all, recovery from rejection, which could take a long time when coordinating the process across different countries, is costly and difficult. Because of the many rules and regulations, pharmaceutical naming has become highly specialized work that is mostly farmed out to highly specialized creative agencies. I kind of thought something like this in the back of my mind, but I never actually knew that this was specifically a profession. Having developed strange and elaborate defenses to avert the disaster of rejection, namers resemble emus, those awkward birds that run instead of fly. Most agencies begin the process by playing the numbers game. For any assignment, the XAO team, I hope I'm saying that right, creates between 2,000 and 5,000 names. That makes pharmaceutical naming different from consumer branding where the constraints are not as stringent and where you can turn a much lower wheel of names, says Ezingiard, who refers to himself as Dr. Destructo. His job on the team is name elimination because his primary concern is to get out of the way as many names as possible that are by their nature a possible liability. In the end, 10 are selected as promising from the original two or 3,000. And from there, the final selection of one name begins. The Brand Institute then typically submits two names at once to regulatory agencies, according to Pierre Grossi. But there are layers of contingency names in place, especially with Big Pharma planning years in advance, he said, adding, we are well-versed in what's required by the regulators. Another way the Brand Institute's subsidiary, the Drug Safety Institute, avoids rejection is by assessing name candidates using a methodology similar to those used by regulatory authorities. For example, FDA examiners are known to look at handwritten samples of a drug name and listen as a variety of people, each with different accents, pronounce the name. They also check for illegal stems, similarity to names of discontinued products, and common medical or coined abbreviations tucked within the name. Meanwhile, examiners 
analyzed for possible promotional claims and references to active or inert ingredients within the sound of the proposed name. Ixia has developed its own regulatory engineering model that mirrors the complex and evolving set of parameters used by regulatory authorities. It's the very model the FDA could have built, but they didn't do it, as Ingyard said. Well, like poets who write Elizabethan sonnets rather than free verse, pharmaceutical namers must make difficult decisions based on arcane rules, but their work is still a form of artistry. Text says Ezingyard, an engineer and polymath, developed Ixao's elaborate naming process when he was studying Darwinian evolution. Creation engineering, as Tech refers to the drug naming process, is based on evolutionary science as well as art history and merges creation with the screening process. What do you know about that? In practice, this means swapping names back and forth between Tech, Isengard, and Ignazi Fontvilla, a colleague in Barcelona. Together, they craft names blended from English, French, German, Spanish, and Catalan linguistics and based on four distinct dimensions visual distinctiveness, melodic contrast, verbal velocity, how it sounds when spoken within a sentence, and language neutrality, which is the ability to work across many different languages. Wow. Tech and Fonvia then develop a final list of name candidates and tweak each other's to ensure a higher chance of approval. Tech is legendary in the industry for naming Viagra while at Wood Worldwide in 1992. To name Pfizer's blockbuster, she ran a focus group with urologists who treated erectile dysfunction. At the conclusion of the session, Tech asked one of the doctors what it felt like for men when the condition went away. The doctor said, visualize a strong stream. Melding the words vigorous and Niagara Tech came up with Viagra. That actually came to mind when I first heard it. No kidding. It's part of something we now know of as neolinguistics. Now an entry in the Oxford English Dictionary, Viagra is an example of how a name can fundamentally create, not just change, conversation, Interbrands Fidelino said. Prior to Viagra, impotence was a psychological disorder that went to the core of how men define themselves, he said by creating a brand that is named in a way that allows people to discuss it and creating language or using language to describe the condition in a way that makes it easier for people to engage in conversation, you had more people seeking treatment and also improving sexual health and relationships around the world. Later, Interbrand was tasked with creating a moniker for what is now known as Cialis, a second-to-market impotence drug. But naming a drug that is not first to market is difficult because the name of the game is being unprecedented, being the breakthrough, Fidelino said. He explained that the goal was to find a sound that fit with Cialis improvements over its predecessor, the macho-sounding Viagra. Cialis treatment window is longer than that of Viagra. It works throughout the day. So if an opportunity arises, a man can spontaneously respond. Huh. This unique attribute and improvement over Viagra 
required new messages and a new framing, said Fidelino, who said naming drugs is about naming the invisible, the intangible. The resulting approach for Cialis was much more about relationships and less about sex. A different type of emotion is conveyed by Cialis, rhapsodized Fidelino, noting that it's a tonally softer name and more elegant. One of the many names created by the Brand Institute, Pierre Grassi says he is proudest of Latisse, the eyelash growth drug from Allergen. The name was crafted by merging two words, Lash and Matisse, the French painter and sculptor. Latisse is marketed directly to consumers, so the name must appeal to those who will use the product. Names intended for doctors are often a play on words or technologies familiar to them or suggestive of a drug's mechanism of action. For instance, the hepatitis B and C drug, Pegasus, explains Fidelino, is based on pharmaceutical technology known as pegylation. Not mythological flying horses. There's no doubt that there's virtue in the unusual, said Fidelino, but still, it's helpful when there's a real tie back either to the attributes of the product, the technology of the product, the benefit of the product, or the intended outcomes. All the namers acknowledge that this is far easier said than done. In the current consumer climate, keep in mind this is five years ago, often hostile towards pharma, according to Fidelino, it's incumbent upon those companies to help people appreciate what they do. This can be achieved, Fidelino believes, by going beyond the tricks and instead creating brands and marketing campaigns with real depth. I am also a healthcare consumer, he said. I don't want to see the public being duped by fancy superficial promotions. Well, what do you know about that? Now, drug nomenclature from Wikipedia. Drug nomenclature is the systematic naming of drugs, especially pharmaceutical drugs. In the majority of circumstances, drugs have three types of names. As mentioned before, chemical names, the most important of which is the IUPAC name, generic or non-proprietary names, the most important of which are the international non-proprietary names, INNs, and trade names, which are brand names. Under the INN system, generic names for drugs are constructed out of affixes and stems that classify the drugs into useful categories while keeping related names distinguishable. A marketed drug might also have a company code or compound code. Drug names are often subject to legal regulation including approval for new drugs to avoid confusion with existing drugs and on packaging to establish clear rules about adulterants and fraudulent or misleading labeling. A national formulary is often designated to define drug names and purity standards for regulatory purposes. The legally approved names in various countries include Australian, British, French, Italian, Japanese, United States, and WHO list. A company or person developing a drug can apply for a generic non-proprietary name through their national formulary or directly to the WHO INN program. In order to minimize confusion, many of the national naming bodies have policies of maintaining harmony between national and non-proprietary names and INNs. In the United States, the developer applies to United States Adopted Name, USAN Council, and a USAN negotiator applies to the INN on the developer's behalf.
The chemical names are the scientific names based on the molecular structure of the drug. Well, there you go. There are various systems of chemical nomenclature and thus various chemical names for any one substance. The most important is the IUPAC name. Chemical names are typically very long and too complex to be commonly used in referring to a drug in speech or in prose documents. For example, this is a tough one, one dash open parent isopropalamino close paren dash three dash one open paren one dash naphyloxy close paren propan dash two dash all is a chemical name for propanolol. Sometimes a company that is developing a drug might give the drug company code, which is often used to identify the drug while it's in its development. Many of these codes, although not all, have prefixes that correspond to the company name. Well, that makes sense, and I never knew that. Generic names are used for a variety of reasons. They provide a clear and unique identifier for active chemical substances appearing on all drug labels, advertising, and other information about the substance. Relatedly, they help maintain clear differentiation between proprietary and non-proprietary aspects of reality, which people trying to sell proprietary things have an incentive to obfuscate. They help people compare apples to apples. They are used in scientific descriptions of the chemicals, in discussions of the chemical in the scientific literature, and descriptions of clinical trials. Generic names usually indicate via their stems what drug class the drug belongs to. For example, one can tell that acyclovir is an antiviral drug because its name ends in the vir suffix. The earliest roots of standardization of generic names for drugs began with city pharmacopias, such as London, Edinburgh, Dublin, Hamburg, and Berlin pharmacopias. The fundamental advances in chemistry during the 19th century made that era the first time in which what we now call chemical nomenclature, a huge profusion of names based on atoms, functional groups, and molecules was necessary or conceivable. In the second half of the 19th century and the early 20th, city pharmacopias were unified into national pharmacopias, such as British Pharmacopia, United States Pharmacopia, and German, Italian, Japanese, and national formularies, such as the British National Formulary, Australian, and the National Formulary of India. International pharmacopias, such as the European Pharmacopia and the International Pharmacopia of the World Health Organization, have been the next level. In 1953, the WHO created the International Non-Proprietary Name System, which issues INNs in various languages, including Latin, English, French, Spanish, Russian, Chinese, and Arabic. Several countries also have national-level systems for creating drug names, including the British-approved name system, Australian, U.S., and many other countries, including Japan. During the first half of the 20th century, generic names for drugs were often coined by contracting the chemical names into fewer syllables. Such contractions were partially and formally locally standardized, but it was not universally consistent. In the second half of the 20th century, the nomenclature systems moved away from such contraction toward the present system of stems and affixes that show chemical relationships. Well, that seems to make a lot of sense. 
biopharmaceuticals have posed a challenge in non-proprietary naming because unlike smaller molecules made with total synthesis or semi-synthesis, there is less assurance of complete fungibility between products from different manufacturers. Somewhat like how wine may vary by strain of yeast and year of grape harvest, each one can be subtly different because living organisms are an integral part of production. The WHO MedNet community continually works to augment its system for biopharmaceuticals to ensure continued fulfillment of the goals served by having non-proprietary names. In recent years, the development of the biological qualifier system has been an example. The prefixes and infixes have no pharmacological significance and are used to separate the drugs from others in the same class. Suffixes or stems may be found in the middle or more often at the end of the drug name and normally suggest the action of the drug. Generic names often have suffixes that define what class the drug is. A few of the stems and drug classes are vir, meaning it's an antiviral drug, cellin, meaning it's penicillin-derived, ceph, meaning it's a cephem-type antibiotic, mab, it's a monoclonal antibody, zimab, a chimeric antibody, zumab, a humanized antibody, anib, angiogenesis inhibitors, and it goes on, oxetine antidepressant related to fluoxetine, sartan, barb, barbiturates, cane, local medication benzocaine. Yeah, that's the first word that comes to mind, benzocaine. Most commonly, a non-proprietary drug name has one widely agreed pronunciation for each language. However, it is also common for a non-proprietary drug name to have two pronunciation variants, or sometimes three. Some of the variation comes from the fact that some stems and affixes have pronunciation variants. The World Health Organization does not give suggested pronunciations for its INNs, but familiarity with the typical sound and spellings of the stems and affixes often points to the widely accepted pronunciation of any given INN. For drugs that make it all the way through development, testing, and regulatory acceptance, the pharmaceutical company then gives the drug a trade name, which is a standard term in the pharmaceutical industry for a brand name or trademark name. For example, Lipitor is Pfizer's trade name for their cholesterol-lowering medication. Many drugs have multiple trade names reflecting marketing in different countries, manufactured by different companies, or both. Thus, the trade names include not only Lipitor in the U.S., but Atacor in India. In the scientific literature, there is a set of strong conventions for drug nomenclature regarding the letter, case, and placement of non-proprietary and proprietary names as follows. Non-proprietary names begin in lowercase. Trade names begin with a capital. That's interesting. Unbiased mentions of a drug place the non-proprietary name first and follow it with the trade name in parentheses, if relevant. This pattern is important for the scientific literature where conflict of interest is disclosed or 
avoided. The authors reporting on the study are not endorsing any particular brand of drug. Uh, what names mean? In naming drugs, the most important considerations are avoiding drug names that are too similar to existing names and therefore might compromise patient safety and making sure the drug name communicates accurate information about the action or use of the substance. Over time, the USAN and INN nomenclature scheme has developed into a system for classifying new pharmaceuticals. Many of the oldest drugs were named by shortening the systematic chemical names for the compound. However, the AMA-USP nomenclature committee quickly realized that a different way of naming drugs was needed and published a list of guiding principles to systematize nomenclature and move away from names derived from the chemical name of a substance. Well, what do you know about that? At that time, the AMA-USP nomenclature committee recognized three difficulties with chemically derived names. One, the use of chemical syllables led to complex, unmanageable names for large classes of chemically related drugs. Two, common chemically derived syllables, that is dichlorometh, were so overused that the names were becoming less distinctive. And three, some chemical compounds were so complex that the names derived from the proper chemical names were not meaningful to physicians. Consequently, most USAN now include a stem. A stem consists of syllables, usually at the end of the name, that denote a chemical structure, indication, or action at a specific receptor. There are currently over 600 stems and substems that have been defined for classes of drugs. A one or two syllable prefix at the beginning of each name differentiates each drug from other members of the same class. The most important concern in choosing a prefix is patient safety, specifically reducing the risk of medication errors, which are a common and long-standing problem in medical practice. For this reason, the USAN Council avoids prefixes that will create new names that are too similar either to other drugs in the same stem class or to names in other stem classes that might look or sound similar to the new name. This means comparing drug names against lists of other names for existing drugs. The USAN program carefully screens prefixes using searches of databases using existing drug names and phonetic and orthographic computer analysis software. The USAN program, as much as possible, also avoids creating new drug names that begin and end with letters shared with existing generic or trade names for drugs or that have been found to have strong conflicts with other names in the POCA analysis, an analysis of trade name pairs prone to look alike, sound alike medication errors found that these pairs often had shared strings of three or more letters in the prefix and POCA scores that indicated a conflict. Well, there you go. And from Pfizer itself, Ibrantz, Zeljans, Sildenafil, Viagra. Most Americans have heard of at least one of those drug names. But where do those monikers come from? Is it scientific? 
metaphorical, both. The drug naming process is one that's long and involved, whether a company is devising a generic name or a brand name. There are different processes for each. In fact, according to Michael Quinlan, who was senior manager trademark development within the customer analytics and insights group with Pfizer, naming a drug can be a long and laborious process that begins before the drug itself has been approved by the FDA. In most industries, you create a name for the product and as long as the trademark is considered available, you can start using the name on your product, says Quinlan, but the drug name has to be reviewed and considered safe before it'll be approved to be used on that potential product. It's kind of reaffirming what everything else I just said was. In some cases, Quinlan says it can take four years to go through the name selection and approval process. Still, he says the exercise can be fun. It can. You're getting to name the baby, he says, and that name could be around for generations. Well, the early days. It starts with a compound. Like anyone or anything, drugs need labels in order to distinguish them from one another. Marie-Claire Peekman, PhD, Executive Director of the Primary Pharmacology Group in Worldwide Research and Development within Pfizer, explains that in the early days, chemists register a newly synthesized compound in a database, labeling it with a PF, which stands for Pfizer, followed by 10 numbers. When the chemists first make up compounds, they have to register them in the database as soon as they're identified so that we can identify them and keep track of their performance in our studies, says Peekman. If a compound shows enough promise to make it through early experiments and head towards clinical trials, two naming processes begin to devise a generic name and a brand name for the future drug. The first step is coming up with a name for a drug and selecting its generic or non-proprietary name. The generic naming process arose in the 1950s, says Quinlan, as a way of establishing a standard so that drugs had the same name everywhere. Generic names came about because of the world growing smaller, says Quinlan. People were traveling abroad more frequently, and it became clear that in other countries, their drugs might be known by another name than back home and would not be able to be identified. Today, two different organizations must approve the names of generic drugs, the United States Adopted Names Council and the World Health Organization, INN program. So that regardless of where someone is located, patients and healthcare professionals will be able to safely communicate about medications. Generic names are in part based on a formula. The suffix or as Quinlan calls it, the family name, imparts an important piece of information to healthcare professionals about how the substance works in the body. Take Viagra, for example. Its generic name is sildenafil. The suffix afil explains the way it works, says Quinlan, referring to its role as a PDE5 inhibitor, meaning it helps control blood flow. The prefix gets a little more creative. We look for syllables that obviously are different from other existing generic names, and that are pleasant enough in their tonality or appearance so it doesn't become overly complex to try to pronounce the generic name, says Quinlan. When deriving those names, there are a number of rules that apply. Quinlan shared some of the rules. It must use two syllables in the prefix. This will help distinguish the drug from others and allows for more variety.
and must avoid certain letters. The generic drug name is created using the Roman alphabet and the goal is to create a name that can be communicated globally. Because the letters Y, H, K, J, and W aren't used in certain languages that use the Roman alphabet, they aren't used in the creation of the prefix of the name. Well, what do you know about that? It can't be considered marketing. Using the company's name within the drug's name must be avoided. Also, it's important to stay away from superlatives or laudatory terms, best, new, fastest, strongest, that might be considered promotional. It avoids medical terminology. You don't want to imply that a drug is intended only for one particular function because in time, if it is also helpful for another purpose, the name could be reductive. Say you were developing a treatment for oncology indications and you launched a product for those indications, but over time in further research, you discovered it worked on inflammation and immunology indications. If you had something like Ankh in the beginning of your generic name, that would be very limiting, says Quinlan. When a name is accepted, USAN then submits it on behalf of Pfizer to the WHO, where a committee reviews it and decides whether to accept it or, again, counter-propose a different name. When the WHO accepts a name, it's published on a proposed international non-proprietary names list, and over the course of four months, the public can come forward and object to the name. If no one objects, it publishes to a recommended INN list and Pfizer can start referring to the drug by the non-proprietary name rather than by code. Well, that was exhausting. This all came about because of uh, constant exposure to HIV ads on television and wondering where they possibly got those names. And uh, this sort of tells me how. Thanks for listening. See you next time. And as the kitties say, peace out.